0: This morning, um, as I was preparing the message, I thought about a book that I had to read for school. Um, I was never a big reader when I was younger, but there are a couple of books that I did read that really impacted my life. Now, uh, my job is to read and research, so I read hours and hours a week. But when I was a teenager, that wasn't uh, what I wanted to do. But one of the books that really stuck out in my mind was the book by John Steinbeck called Of Mice and Men. That was required reading for almost everyone from way back when I was a kid, you know, when it was a uh, uh, horse and buggy, all the way to this present day. And uh, Of Mice and Men was a book about two guys who were farmhands. And their name was George and Lenny. And Lenny um, had some cognitive challenges, so um, George took it upon himself to take care of Lenny. And Lenny liked um, to pet soft things. So he would find mice, and he would keep those mice, and he would have them in his pocket. And at times, because he liked to pet soft things and he was a big guy, he would end up squeezing uh, the life out of the mouse. And he would put the mouse in his pocket. And when George would find out that he had this dead thing in his pocket, he would have him get rid of those things. And uh, on a couple occasions, because of Uh, Lenny's deficiencies, he's found himself in trouble where they would have to travel from place to place, and and finally it came to a place um, where uh, the soft things that he uh, would hold on tight to, one ended up being a woman, and she ended up dying. And the tragic end to the story was they were coming to seek justice because Lenny had killed this woman, and George ended up having to kill his friend. It it is an amazing story. It's also a movie. um, And one of the things that we we need to realize is that that dead things rot, right? Um, George was looking out for Lenny, not allowing him to carry this dead thing. Uh, Today's sermon is called, Some Things Must die, and we're going to find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you don't mind, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be reading from verses 23 to 25. If you don't mind, stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're reading from verses 23 to 25, and it reads this way. forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you father we thank you for the good news we thank you lord that your word remains forever that your word does not fall but your word accomplishes Everything you send it to do, there is power in your word. There is saving power in your word. Your word sustains us, it keeps us, it encourages us. And we thank you for that. That's why we gather together as your children to hear your living words of life. We thank you that you have given us life and that you keep us, and we ask this day that you would encourage us to know that some things must die for other things to live and grow. Would you do that in our hearts this morning, Lord? In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. You may be seated. One of the things that um, I don't like is winter. Um, But I do like spring, and I do like summer, but along with that comes a chore that we don't have in the winter, and that is the cutting of the grass, right? We have to go outside and cut the grass. And I don't know um, who the taskmaster may be um, in your house, but mine is my wife and she likes the grass to stay pristine. So I've learned over the years to just go outside and do it when I can. I'm always looking at the weather, Is that what day am I going to fit in cutting the grass for this week? Let me get out there and get it done. Uh, But one of the things, you know, we probably have to cut the grass at least once a week. And when it comes to cutting the grass. And just thinking about this text, we realize once a week that grass is cut, that portion of the grass is dead. When the grass does grow, that's when those little flowers come onto the grass. And my wife certainly is not having that. So we don't usually get to that point. But if we were to look at this text and believe that it is about um, how quickly life passes by. Uh, if we were to look at this text and think about, hey, we bloom and then we fade away, or the brevity of life and the certainty of death, we'd be missing what this text is really showing us because it's so much more than the decay of the flesh being spoken about here. There is a deeper spiritual meaning to this text. The author of this is Peter. Um, And we know uh, that Peter uh, was born again. He walked with Jesus for those years, was in close proximity with him, but his power came at Pentecost. He was a changed person once he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And and that is actually what brings about this new life. If we think about where Peter was before that, he had denied Christ, Christ went to the cross, and what did he do? He went back to what he used to do. Him and others went back fishing. And when Jesus came and they were fishing, he spoke to Peter about what he was to do and told them, go to Jerusalem and wait there for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's when everything changed in their life. So, When Peter is speaking here about the um, grass and its glory and the flower of the grass and it withering, he was actually quoting Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to read um, that text so we could put this a little bit more in context. We're going to read the first nine verses. It should be up on the screen. And it reads this way, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled, and the uneven ground will become smooth in the rough places, a plain. The glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a mount, a high mountain, Jerusalem. Herald of a good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. So when we hear that and and see what Peter was actually quoting, we recognize that this text is speaking of the arrival of Jesus and John the Baptist proclaiming his coming. This means in order to make room, for the display of divine glory in Jesus Christ and in his salvation, there has to be a withering of all the glory within man that he boasts about himself. That is what this text is talking about. The flesh should be in its true nature as corrupt and dying the flesh must die, and the grace of God alone should be exalted. John the Baptist in his ministry um, revealed to the hearts of the men through the power of the Holy Spirit that we had to believe that, that the flesh was not going to do anything for us, when it comes to the Lord. John, in, chapter, in the book of, of John, chapter 3, in that gospel, Jesus um, comes and, and John the Baptist is there and, and he's baptizing people. And it says that after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon, near Siloam, because there were plenty of water there. And people were coming out being baptized, since John had not been thrown into prison yet. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testify about who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, No one can receive anything unless it is given to them from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. Listen to this. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed That God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's word, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, The wrath of God remains on him. Here, John is proclaiming, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is something that every believer must understand. That is something that the work of the Holy Spirit does in the believer, to allow us to know the flesh profits nothing. But the Spirit is what has to do its work in us, take precedent. The Spirit is the one that lives within us. When we speak about, like the beginning of this text, being born again, Being born again does not mean reviving dead things. There's no reviving of dead things. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and he asked Jesus a question, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can it be? a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born, listen to this, of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. One of the things that we need to get deep down in our minds is that we cannot live forever in the state of sin. We see that in Genesis, right after the curse, Jesus spoke to Adam and Eve and said to them, I am sending a Savior. After he told them that, And told them how they were going to live because of sin, he sent them out of the garden. But remember what he did? He put cherubim around the tree of life so that they would not eat of it and live forever. Because if they lived forever in that state, they would not have been any place for redemption. Matter of fact, they had to die because that is the penalty of sin. But at the same time that that was going on, God made a way of redemption. So they died. But God in his sovereignty, God in his goodness, God in his graciousness made a way for them to live forever, for us to live forever. But dead things have to stay dead. The flesh profits us nothing. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespass, we were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Jesus has come, and he said, I've come to give life, and I come to give life in abundance. Why do you resuscitate things that should be dead and things that are killing you? So often, we do that. Some things must die. My will must die so that God's will will be done. We always have this battle of competing wills, but even Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. My self-reliance must die so that I can fully depend on God but we always have a battle of self-reliance. Hey, I can do this, and then I'll call you when I need you. No, as I will, our will must die, our self-reliance must die. J- just look at it this way. You cannot both have singleness and marriage. No, singleness must die for marriage to start. I cannot claim, well, Jesse is married to me. I'm not married. That sounds funny, but but we do that. We, we can't say, God, your will be done, and I'm submitted to your will. But every time we don't like what's happening, or when we walk into a situation, we're trying to snatch our will back. We can't say, God, I trust you in all things and fully depend on you. But in certain areas, I'm self-sufficient. I'll get it done. I'll make it happen. When we see the history that Jesus was, was born into when he came into this ministry, where he was in, they were in a desert place. He entered into a time where the word of the Lord in those days was scarce, where the religious leaders were stooped in tradition and not loving God, where Israel had lost her glory, and they were subservient to a godless people. That's that's the, the picture that Jesus came into. And every child of God has come to a place where that resembled our own personal history, where we were in a desert place, where we did not hear the voice of God where other things had consumed us and we had no control. And at best, we tried to live out in tradition and believe that that path would take us to where we wanted to go. The believer has to recognize and live in a way where we say to ourselves, the flesh profits nothing, nothing nothing, not a little something, not this part of it, the flesh profits nothing. It must be destroyed. Like the text said in Isaiah chapter 40, the Spirit of God, like a wind, must pass over the fields of our souls and cause Our beauty to fade like a flower, that that beauty that we think we can produce this, we must be so convinced of sin and reveal, it must be revealed to ourselves by the Holy Spirit about ourselves that the flesh profits nothing, that Our fallen nature is corruption itself. Our fallen nature is corruption, and we already know that the Bible tells us that the flesh cannot please God. Corruption is this sense of a process that something has changed from its original use it is regarded as erroneous. It is regarded as debased. It has been altered. But the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer is to continually wither away at the flesh. When we recognize that, That the flesh is corrupt and it is perishable. But what is imperishable is the word of God that is living and abiding in us. The self-righteous sinner, right? The one that uh, believes that they can still do it. That sinner never holds Jesus as valuable because they hold themselves in high esteem. So the self-righteous sinner justifies how they live, what they do, but the believer that does not recognize that the flesh is totally corrupt, and it must die. They see the blood of Christ as casual. Who goes to the doctor? The one that goes to the doctor is the one that knows they're sick. But you know what we do before we go to the doctor? We try home remedies right? We put we a little Robitussin on it, right? We, we, we do things that, hey, I don't want to go. Until we get to a place where we recognize, I'm helpless. This is doing nothing. That's who goes to the doctor. When we come to the place to recognize that we can't fix it, that we are utterly sick, that we are broken, that we are corrupt. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince men and women of sin. And the Holy Spirit does not build on old foundations. That's why he does a new work in us. It says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is scripture after scripture after scripture that speaks about us being alive in Christ, us living for self no more, us dying to self. Jesus said this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies. It remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servants also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We just have to come to that place and recognize that we are void of that outside of the Holy Spirit. So much of the work of the Holy Spirit in us is for us to submit to God, our helper, our comforter, our strength. Is in the Holy Spirit and not in our flesh. We have to let go of our will. We have to let go of our our way of thinking that we can hold on to a part of that. It's like Lenny keeping that mouse that's dead in his pocket and squeezing it. No, we cannot. And often we do that. Worship team, you can, you can come up. The text said, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, And all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The fact that Peter could say that, the fact that we can say that, and we could say that with full confidence that God's word remains forever. We we could also say that his word is the good news. We've heard it and we've received it. That's why we are born again. And we are not born again to perishable seed, but imperishable through the living word of God through the abiding word of God that is good news we're going to take communion at this time I want us to prepare our hearts to take communion I want us to recognize the privilege it is as believers, to come to the Lord's table and in a symbolic way recognize that that bread speaks of his broken body and that that juice speaks of his shed blood for the believer, that we can claim his goodness in our lives. But who is to participate in the Lord's Supper? It is not those that have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that means if you are there with your child and your child does not fully understand what it is to take communion, then they need to wait until the time in their life when they recognize how sacred that is, how special that is, what God has done for the one that has not given their life to the Lord. They are not to participate in the Lord's Supper. We will read the scripture after, but you are Placing judgment on yourself by doing that. For the believer that is out of fellowship, If, if, if you have been in a place of struggle, if you have been in a place where you have not been in communion with God, you need to get back to that place. You need to pray. You need to seek his face. You need to be in communion with him. Each one of us has to judge those things for ourselves, But never look at communion as a religious exercise, as something that we just do. People of God, it is a privilege. Remember what it represents. And the Bible tells us to do it often. When we come in community with one another, it is a special time. See it at, as that. We're going to sing a song. Reflect where you are with the Lord. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him that God's word never fails that we have been saved by the hearing of his word, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, is the withering away of the flesh, so we could look more and more like Christ. Let's reflect on that at this time while this song is being sang. Amen.